Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is me. I hit 350,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is insane. Uh, technically, I also hit 300,000, but then we hit 350 before I had time to record anything. So here we are. To celebrate, I asked for questions and got more than 1,000 responses across all platforms. So this is 90 minutes of me trying to answer as many as possible. There are legitimately some world-class questions in here, which I wish that I'd come up with on one of my episodes, including some really tough ones about my goals, fears, and motivations. I expect to learn whether I think calling everyone cult members is a clever idea, how a beef-fueled Jordan Peterson annihilated me at Top Golf, my biggest internal challenges, why I haven't gone vegan, my best advice for incels, whether I believe in nofap superpowers, why I don't use AirPods to podcast with, my thoughts on pegging, and much more. Obviously, well, not obviously at all. I, I have no words for the way that the growth's been so far in 2022. Uh, thank you to everyone that's been here for a long time. And if you're new, then welcome. I'm not slowing down. The remainder of this year is going to continue with me trying to find the most interesting people that I can from the dark corners of the internet and the top of the mountains of well-known and fascinating humans. Uh, so thank you for the support and thank you for being here to enjoy them along with me. In other news, this episode is brought to you by The Six Minute Diary. If you are wanting to get a gratitude practice into your life, which you absolutely need because it is the fundamental foundation that happiness is built on, this is the easiest way to do it. It takes three minutes in the morning and three minutes in the evening, and it is six months long, so it lasts for six months, and it costs less than £20 with discount. So that's six months of three minutes per day, morning and night, to make yourself happier less than 20 quid. It's also the best science-backed gratitude journal I've found, which uses proven principles of positive psychology by more than one and a half million people worldwide. It's recommended by psychologists and therapists all over the world, helps you to focus on progress and the good things in life in easy portions. You discover what really makes you happy and helps you to bring more of that into your life. It's available in 20 languages, has 20,000 verified five-star reviews on Amazon, and you can get 15% off everything that they make by going to bit.ly slash diarywisdom. That's bit.ly slash D-I-A-R-Y wisdom. And the code MW15 at checkout will get you 15% off everything. This isn't available yet in America. I'm working on a way to do this on Amazon. But in the UK, bit.ly slash diarywisdom and MW15. In other other news, this episode is brought to you by Plunge. Plunge's revolutionary cold plunge technology uses powerful cooling, filtration, and sanitation to give you cold, clean water whenever you want it, making it far superior to an ice bath or a chest freezer. People have been repurposing chest freezers, filling them up with water, and then getting into them. Uh, it is That is going to be manky water after a while. Also, if you're into cold exposure, which you should be because it's amazing for longevity and your immune system and the way that you feel and your adrenals and all that stuff, doing it in a cold shower is nothing like actually properly being submerged in the water. There is nowhere near enough contact between your skin and whatever is making it cold to actually properly affect you. The plunge is safe for indoor and outdoor use and installation is literally, you plug it in and you're ready to go. You fill the plunge up with a hose, turn it on, and you can set your temperature all the way down to pretty much freezing. 
So no matter how much of a seasoned cold exposure person you are, this is going to get spicy. It is the best and most convenient way to do it. I'm looking forward to getting one installed out here in Austin as well. And you can get $150 off everything site-wide by going to thecoldplunge.com using the code MW150 at checkout. That's thecoldplunge.com and MW150 for $150 off. Plus, if you're looking at international shipping, just email info at thecoldplunge.com. And in final news, this episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. You can protect your browsing online and get access to the entire world's Netflix library for less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. You do not want to have hackers and websites tracking your data, knowing what you're looking at, trying to steal your passwords and split testing you on prices for products that you are already buying. And every website is doing this. Plus, your internet service provider is tracking your data and then selling it to companies that can target you with ads. All of that is fixed by using a VPN. And all that you need to do is download it, press a couple of buttons and you are away. But most importantly, it means that you can use Netflix wherever you want, whichever territory you want to be in. I'm out here in America and it means that I've got access to tons more Marvel series and movies than anybody else does. And if you're in America, you can check out what we've got going on over in the UK, perhaps, or some French Netflix. It means that if you need to use HBO Max or Disney Plus while you're traveling, that you also have access to that. And you can have it across unlimited devices. So your laptop, your phone, your iPad, even your smart TV can have its VPN put in so that you get access to different territories, Netflixes, etc., etc. And you get 83% off, three months free, plus a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it and try it for 29 days. And if you don't like it, they'll give you your money back. Head to surfshark.deals slash modernwisdom. That's surfshark.deals slash modernwisdom for 83% off three months free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. But now, please welcome the wise and wonderful me. Bonjour, friends. Welcome back. It is a 350,000 subscriber Q&A episode. Uh, the 300,000 was missed because we blasted through that so quickly that I didn't have time to do one. Uh, and now we're at 350. I have no idea what to think about the last month and a bit of attention and growth and stuff. Uh, so welcome if you are new here. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you for sharing and liking and being a part of the cult for all this time and whatnot. Uh, I ask for questions off Instagram and Twitter and locals and YouTube community, and there was nearly a 1,000. So thank you to Assistant Ben as well for filtering them all. And we've picked some of the best ones, and I'm going to try and get around to as many as I can. Let's get into it. Sam Weatherall, do you believe in semen retention slash no-fap superpowers? Uh, no, no, I... As far as I can see, no fap is most beneficial to people that are pathological fappers, right? That can't keep their hand off the penis. And if that is you and you're fapping it, you know, three or four times a day, you are going to have kind of a superpower because you've just freed up maybe two hours of your day to do stuff that isn't fapping. Uh, outside of that, the levitation and the women being able to sell, smell the pheromones and stuff, I'm less convinced. Sarah Russo. What advice would you give to a young career-driven woman 
in her 20s. Take no one else's word for it. I would say that you get to define how it is that you're going to live and presuming that what some article, newspaper, cultural movement, friend has done as being like the thing that you have to do is wrong. Just continually reassess where am I at? Am I doing what I want to do? Is this making me happy? Is this the path that I'm supposed to be on? You won't go far wrong if you do that. And this would be the same for a guy as well. Um, but yeah, there is a temptation with young career-driven women to have kind of a sunk cost fallacy here that like, this is my identity and I'm going to completely adhere myself to this. Um, just keep on checking. And maybe you will want to stay a career-driven woman for the rest of your life and maybe you won't. But as long as you're doing the introspection, you'll be able to course correct en route. Isaac Mijangos. Who would you like to have on next? Can you create a form on your website for us to request guests we'd like to see on the pod? So there already is one and it's chriswillex.com slash contact. So go there and you can send me whoever you want. Um, I always appreciate getting feedback and suggestions from you guys. Sometimes they're fantastic. Other times they're less fantastic, but sometimes they're really good. Who I'd like to have on next what I really want to do with the show after the Jordan Peterson sort of special 4K big production cinematic thing, I'm really keen to try and do maybe two, between two and four of those a year. So find a very big guest and fly out to see them or fly them to see me uh, and create something that's really visually beautiful. Uh, so next on the hit list, I think would be Jocker Willink. I've only half a degree of separation away from him with some mutuals. And I think that it's been a little while since we've seen something like really dramatic and beautiful with him. Uh, plus, I love his content. And I think that his style of talking really lends itself to that super intense, cinematic, like very, very um, beautiful look. So if you know Jocker Willink, tell him to get in touch uh, or I'm going to continue grinding away, trying to find my way to him. But yeah, that's that's what I think I'd like to do next as a, a big sort of project. And then maybe across the year, there's, you know, like between two and four of these special bigger edition episodes. And that can kind of be the thing that can be one of the, the big growth strategies, but also one of the things that kind of makes the show special and makes it stand out. Because I don't think many other people are doing that. Max H. Wilson, what's your Fran time? Uh, I think it was late seven minutes like seven or eight minutes uh and i made such a huge meal of that workout so for those of you that don't know fran is 21 15 9 repetitions of thrusters at 42 kilos uh and pull-ups and uh it is for me it's just hell because you can't go unbroken uh seven and a bit minutes of just just pain and then panting and and complaining and and making a meal of it Megan Carey, what's your thoughts on male and female platonic relationships? They are difficult in my experience. Uh, if you only had one party that would be able to get attracted, it would be kind of difficult. But the fact that you have two and that one, you can either have one person or both people that want the relationship to no longer be platonic, uh, it is very, very hard. I think, to make work. That's not to say that men and women can't be friends and absolutely they can, especially, you know, like work colleagues and stuff like that. But you, I think it's right to be careful 
about which members of the opposite sex you become friends with because if you develop feelings for them or they develop feelings for you, that can lead to quite a bit of suffering and awkwardness. Uh, so just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Martha, tits or ass? Um, so I was a boob guy throughout almost all of my 20s, and then toward the end of my 20s, I've switched, and now I'm a bum guy. And that, if anybody tells you that people can't change, there you go. There's some proof for you. Martin, do you think the currently pretty immature and toxic manosphere scene will evolve into a more healthy and culturally accepted men's movement similar to second-wave feminism in its day? Man, I've never thought about that before. I have never thought that the current version of the manosphere or whatever is like just the first iteration of it and that maybe you're going to have another wave that comes through. Now, perhaps we've seen this going from pickup artistry, Neil Strauss stuff pivoting into what is now more like red pill evolutionary psychology manosphere men's rights black pill incelly stuff um i would absolutely hope so and i think that if you were to kind of have a big clean out of all of the toxic elements and all of the shitty elements uh that would make for a much better experience for both men that are trying to learn from it and from the women that are hopefully benefiting from the men that, that learn from it uh so yeah that would be That'd be fantastic. I really hope so. Uh, Mindful Mitch, your biggest internal struggle, if any, as your channel has grown? It's a good question. Um, I So the last year, last month and a bit, we've done 10 million plays and about 80,000 subs on YouTube. And it is, you do feel the scrutiny like I, I feel the increased number of eyes on me, which is strange because that's what you wanted, right? We, I'm doing the show to reach more people, to get more exposure, to have amazing conversations that interest me and that hopefully benefit the lives of everybody that l listens or watches. But when it happens very intensely, you are super, super conscious of all of the extra scrutiny and eyes and attention that's on you. And... I, I don't know. It, it's just something that you become aware of. You you are very, very conscious of the fact that there are so many people watching. Um, but it's the same as anything, right? Like if you change, if you moved cities or if you went from being in a relationship to being single or if you lost a loved one or whatever, like any sort of quick change in life, it, you're going to notice it. And this is kind of no different. But that's that's the one of the bigger internal struggles that I don't know quite how to deal with that increased level of uh, attention yet. Uh, and because we spent so much time doing the show with barely any attention on it, you know, like it's been, we've been going for four years and have done more plays in the last like three or four months than in all of the three and a bit years up until then beforehand. So yeah, that's one of the things I'm going to be working on at learning over the next few months. Sean Powling, what did you eat when you went for dinner with Jordan Peterson? Uh, so I spent a week with Jordan in New York after the episode, and it was obviously beef every single meal. Like, I, I felt like I would be spitting in the face of everybody sat around the table when everyone else ordered beef. And I was like, uh, can, I look at the, can I have a look at the mac and cheese, please? Um, so no, I had beef, a lot of beef. Uh, MJ Delaney Fit. Is asceticism a big lie? Very good question. And yes, I think it is. I think that most people that are 
recounting the trappings of the modern world and saying, I don't need money or success or status or whatever. I think that for most people is just a cope. I think that that is their way of not having to compete. Um, I spoke about the inner citadel, which is this Isaiah Berlin concept. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that asceticism for most people is their inner citadel by saying that they never cared about money or status or growth or friends or whatever it might be. Uh, they don't need to face the potential pain of not winning at that game. I also think that MGTOW and that whatever the female equivalent is, like Pigtow or like the pink pill or whatever it's called, I think that's a cope in the same way as well. I think that that's a lot of people's inner citadels, right? That they just, it's less about wanting to be on your own and more about not wanting to be hurt by being in relationships with people of the opposite sex. Mad Hat Matt, what are your goals for Modern Wisdom in 2022? Uh, I want to really work hard on growing the audio plays. So if you're watching this on YouTube and you're not subscribed on audio, you can get the episodes 10 hours earlier every single day when they go up. They're available 10 hours beforehand on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and there will be a link in the show notes below and in the comment. So you can just follow that through, press subscribe, and it supports the show and it makes me happy, which is great. Um, I really, really want to grow that because that means that I would then be able to get a producer on board which would help me to just free up some of my time. Like this is so full time. I look for the guests. I'm doing scouting for guests. I'm scheduling for guests. I'm researching. I'm recording. I'm then doing all of the audio editing on the back end. I do all of the promotion on the back end of that. The YouTube briefs and the asset sheets for Dean, all of the clips and the asset sheets for that as well. That's all me still. And it's kind of becoming, well, it's not kind of, like it is pretty unsustainable i think at this work rate um and the reason that i'm able to continue going at the moment is that i've got this vision that hopefully soon i'll be able to delegate that to somebody else uh so i would look forward to bringing some talented producer in that could work full time and look after all of that stuff and then it means that i can finally actually spend time doing something which isn't all of the little bits and i can focus on the show and researching and reading i don't spend i haven't had that much time to read stuff aside from what i need to do for the show so that would be the goals grow the audio channels. So if you want help by subscribing and listening, please do. Lewis Keenan 13. Do you believe everything happens for a reason in your life? I'm really anti this. I, I don't like the term that things happen for a reason because I think it takes away the beauty of the agency that you had to make things go well. Let me give you an example. So imagine that you break your leg and upon breaking your leg, you end up losing your job or not being able to stick in your job. And then you change and you end up moving to a new city and getting a new job. And that job's even better. You could say, well, you know, I broke my leg for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. But the reverse of that is you had something really shitty happen to you and you overcame it and made the situation even better on the back end of a move to a new city and a new job and a broken leg. Like that's the more beautiful framing for me. So it things happening for a reason in retrospect seems to take a little bit of the um the pride that you can have in what you did. Like don't attribute your successes to a higher power. They're yours. You were the one that made them happen, so you can own them. D Hon Max, yet again, by the way, I am 
annihilating all of these names. I haven't got a single one wrong yet. Uh, favorite city in the world and why? Uh, Italy. It is phenomenal. Florence is a close second. Maybe I should have been born Italian, but Italy's phenomenal. Just steeped in history. Beautiful for as long as you can walk. You can walk everywhere. There's history on every single corner. It's gorgeous. Harry Keenan, 37. Have you tried to get Naval on the pod? Uh, yes, I have. I reached out to him probably about two years ago now, and he said that he was taking a sabbatical. It was just after the Rogan episode, taking a sabbatical, uh, and I haven't pushed again. Like He would be, between him and Sam Harris, those are my two must-gets. Uh, and, you know, if it happens, it happens. I look forward to him maybe re-entering the world of doing podcasts at some point, and we'll see. But if I did, I would be, that would be one that I'd be very, very happy about uh, and would 100% be a, you know, 6K cinema crew, fly them out to wherever he is thing. Harrison Matthews, regret going on Love Island, question mark. Uh, not at all, not at all. It was a YOLO, you know. There's not many things you can do that only like less than a thousand people have done. Uh, I think there's more people have been to the top of Everest than have been on Love Island and I'm not equating the two. However... My point is that there's just not many things left that only a few people have done. And it was fun. And I was 27 at the time. So, yeah, it was sweet. Uh, Freddie Bull. Hi, Chris. Eve Psych slash mental health question. Do you think there's a mismatch between the anti-workaholic slash pro-men's mental health idea you discussed with Matt Rudd and the desire to be in that top 20% of men needed to be successful with women. It seems the mental health episodes are saying release the tiller, care less, and the Eve Psych episodes saying work until you're earning £200,000 and have five gym sessions a week. Where do you think the balance is between the two? Dude, that is an absolute monster of a question. Uh, thank you. Yes, this is one of the core tensions that we have in life, right? That... I genuinely do believe that releasing the tiller and just allowing yourself to be carried forward is a fundamental foundation that will make you more happy. That being said, we can't get away from the fact that there are certain quantifiable metrics of success that you want to have in life in order to give you access to objectively better modes of living, right? Being rich might not make you happy, but being poor can make you miserable. So the balance between the two is something that we all need to find. And this is one of the tensions between those two. In fact, I would say for most people that are, you know, in the Western world and living in all right, the standardized life, a good standard life, this is the tension, right? How much do I want to push and work hard and how much do I want to enjoy? Now, the goal is to be able to get those two things to align over the top. You want to be able to have the thing that you push and work hard at to be the thing that you're able to release the tiller at. So you could imagine um, sports stars would be a good example of this, that they express themselves and they're in the moment and they find flow doing the thing that also gains some status. Um, this being said, you can make the work hard until you're earning money and go to the gym and do stuff like that. You can make all of that easier by trying to do things that you genuinely enjoy. So if you find a gym routine that you actually fundamentally enjoy to do, you're not going to think twice about going to the gym five sessions a week. You're going to want to go 10 sessions a week and you're going to have to hold yourself back. So I would continue to explore 
with what it is that you do to earn money and side hustles that you also do to earn money and your training and your charisma training and other stuff and your personal development until you find the thing that you're going to genuinely enjoy. And then that's going to allow you to care less because your program is going to carry you forward. Um, but that's a, an awesome question and attention. I think a lot of people feel, uh, G 14, G 14. Uh, did you have to pay Jordan Peterson to get on the podcast? No, no, that is not the way it works. I, I've never heard of people. There probably are people that do podcasts where they pay their guests to come on or something, but it's never the way it's worked on this show. Anger Panda. Good name. Uh, did you find it difficult transitioning from party boy background into the thoughtful, productive human you are now? And if so, what were the biggest difficulties? Advice for an ex-party addict trying to put their life right, please. Um, yeah, it it is strange because the things that you used to hold yourself, used to have as values and what you um, considered to be something valuable that you did, like who you knew or what girl you'd slept with the last previous week or how many people came up to you on a night out or how successful your events were or whatever. All of that no longer serves you. So you think, okay, well, if that's not the thing that I genuinely value, what is the thing that I genuinely value? And that's a very scary question. So changing a change of values and what you value in yourself is one of the biggest difficulties that you need to overcome. The things that you used to value no long, you no longer do. Uh, your friend group is probably going to change because you're going to be doing different things. Um, definitely one of the biggest bits of advice would be try and do something that puts you in a place like the sort of person that you want to be. So I wanted to be someone that had a more holistic view of fitness. So I started doing CrossFit and I started doing um, Muay Thai and fighting because I thought, well, these people will be more all-encompassing. They will be more on their diet. They're going to be training harder, which means they're going to party less. They're probably going to have good social lives because they're in a gym, which is the training methodology is focused around a communal uh, approach as opposed to an individual approach. Um, so look at different friend groups, assess your values and think about where you want to go. Um, consider trying to make some fundamental changes to your routine consider going sober for an extended period of time you know six months of sobriety is going to force you to find other things to do with your life especially if you're partying regularly so those would be some suggestions apple dom you discuss masculinity intimacy openness so curious your thoughts on pegging not for me dom thanks Libby Rose, as a single child, do you wish to have children? If so, how many do you wish to have and why? Yeah, I am. Um, I keep saying this. I can't wait to be a dad. I really, really can't wait to. Um, I would probably want, I think, three children. That seems to be between two and three seems to be sort of optimal for the child's development. Um, I also know that, you know, I... I very much appreciate that more children is harder work. But I also think that to support the child's uh, upbringing, probably having a couple of siblings around is a good idea. You know, you struggle to socialize kids as much when they're on their own uh, versus if they've got siblings that they can constantly play with. Uh, I always think about what it would have been like if I'd had uh, brothers or sisters. Uh, and, you know, turned out relatively okay longer term. Uh, but yeah, it's... I think probably about two or three. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be a huge challenge that I'm absolutely, definitely not emotionally ready for, uh, but it's going to be fun. 
Uh, Fernanda Cervantes. Top five or ten books you recommend? I can give you a list of 100, actually. My reading list, Modern Wisdom reading list, is available and it's free. And you can get it somewhere up here or by going to chriswillex.com slash books. It's 100 that you need to read before you die. And they've all got summaries. And I tell you what I think about them and why I like them. And there's links to just go and get them straight away. And it's free. chriswillx.com slash books. Uh, Carl Dorrington. Question, Eddie Hall or Thor, who you got? <sighs> Dude, I've seen some sparring footage on the, well, some like pad work footage of Eddie Hall and it doesn't look good. Like it really doesn't look good. And I saw a video today of him and Thor in a some corner shop, it's like some 7-Eleven somewhere and they're kicking off at each other and Eddie's really lost him his sort of cool and maybe that's just all for the cameras but i want eddie to win but i feel like thor might have it uh one thing that we can all agree on is their transformation both of their body transformations is mental absolutely insane jojo mcclaff any lessons learned this year so far and how to deal with others opinions of you uh yeah well, i mean we're only into what march but yeah, I would I would say that there's been uh, a little bit of pushback around some of the guests that I've had on the show um, and that the, this increased scrutiny has given people that followed the show or people that had an idea of who I was or what I was trying to do this show for um, to really kind of steam in and try and, I don't know, say that, I, let's say that, I'm supposed to be some pretty boy gateway drug right to the alt-right. The presumption there would have to be that I'm doing endless episodes about how to perfect your running form or about the best rep ranges to gain muscle or about how to survive productivity dysmorphia. Just like bottomless numbers of life hacks episodes and like nerdy, nerdy bits and pieces like that. Meanwhile, what I'm actually doing is like rabidly scratching myself under the table with like gripping onto things, just not being able to wait until I get my hands onto some new culture war problem. One of the most annoying things that you can do to people is disprove their presumption of what they thought you were. Now, sometimes you do this with a friend when they thought that you were a friend and you do something bad and they go, that really, really hurt. One of the reasons is that you've broken their view that they had of you. Now, similarly, there are people on the internet that presume that you're part of one side or one tribe or they thought that they had you in a particular box and if you do something that their version of you wouldn't have done they get very very upset um so the how to deal with others opinions of you and the lessons learned this year are kind of the same question for me because there's been a lot more scrutiny and i'm not 100 percent sure about how to deal with it and I, I think as well it's it's just a strange thing to have happen. Like the human system is not designed to have 10 million people. We, we did 1.3 million hours of content watched. That doesn't include audio in the last four weeks. Well, that's like, it's a, I think we worked it out. It's 200 years of uninterrupted content that's been viewed. I don't know what to think about that. And that means that you're going to have more and more and more people giving their opinion. So the main thing that I think I've learned is that as your platform grows and as you reach more and more people, you have to take input less and less seriously over time. 
originally when you start something, you need to take or you can afford to take the people who are contributing with, you know, you can actually take the time to read what they're saying. You can presume that they're saying it in good faith because the audience is so small that most of the people who watch are probably only there because they genuinely do have an investment in you or maybe they're your friends or they're kind of part of a, a peri-social circle that you've got. Uh, however, as that grows, Tim Ferriss has this thing where he talks about how um, million to one odds happen eight times a day in New York because there's 8 million people that live there. So there's million to one odds that have happened 10 times in the last four weeks on the show. Um, dealing with others' opinions of you, just do the thing that you think you're supposed to do as well as you can do it, and that's it. So a lot of people would, I don't know, give their opinions and say that I should have done things better or worse or whatever, and that's fine, but I've really given it a good shot, and that means that I'm kind of immune to it. Well, look, like maybe it would have been great if I'd said this or asked that or pushed back in this way, but I didn't, and I didn't think of it at the time, and maybe I'll do it again in future. I'll learn from that and try and do it better, but yeah, do the thing that you're here to do as well as you can. It doesn't really matter what other people's opinions of you are. RJLD. Would you ever have someone non-famous on your podcast? Yes, I do it all the time. Uh, I look forward to bringing people like uh, Anna Codriarado, you know, who's written a book but has like a, a moderate online following or a Adam Lane Smith or a Vincent Harinam, you know, people who are basically like closet heroes, absolute monsters, but within a niche and then giving them a platform. This is the coolest thing. And this is the coolest thing that Rogan's been able to do. You know, he's made... Rogan's made people's careers. He made Lex Friedman to a large degree, Jocko Willink, David Goggins, Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein. You know, you can be a platform for people who absolutely deserve to have an audience because they're talented or they're brilliant or they're interesting or they're funny. But as of yet, they haven't done that. Because for almost all of the come up on any sort of platform, what you're doing is you're asking other people for favors. You're saying, I want you, David Sinclair, Douglas Murray, Carl Benjamin, whatever, person who has way more clout than me, I want to kind of steal, I want to slipstream you and hold onto your coattails for a little bit. Um, and then after a little while, you realize, well, my platform's got to the stage where I don't just need to do that. I can actually be that platform for someone else. And that's the coolest thing. That makes me so happy, you know, to find some awesome underground monster and then just say, look, go and put your brilliance out there. Go into Bogle, perfect example, wrote a Twitter thread that went absolutely insane once. He's just a dude. You know, he's just like a computer science dude out of nowhere. Brought him on, smashed it. One of my favorite episodes of last year. Brilliant. Liam Michael Henderson, your personal experiences slash opinion of monogamy. Uh, I think it's right for most people. I think the trends around non-monogamy are as yet unproven to me, generally, as a even a medium-term strategy. And my personal experiences of monogamy are uh, vast and mostly littered with failures, um, but not always. Uh, Charlie hate. Cooksey, why do you rate AirPods yet used wired earphones? Fuck, this is such a, a smart insight. Um, so the reason that I use these, which is literally just a pair of the old style AUX cable uh, Apple 
headphones, which you used to get with a, an iPhone, but you can now buy on Amazon, is because when you're using the recording software that I use and all the full setup that I have for recording the podcast with this microphone, Bluetooth headphones have a non-zero chance of fucking up. And I just find that being wired in makes very little change in terms of the quality, but means that nothing ever goes wrong in an audio setting. Uh, however, I am aware that me being a, such a evangelist for AirPods, AirPod Pros, and then not putting them on to record in, I appreciate the hypocrisy. Uh, right, some of the questions from the Locals community. If you want to join that, you can go to modernwisdom.locals.com. So over 3,000 people in there that like the show and that think about the stuff that we're talking about today. Uh, Eloise Solil. Hey, Chris, do you think you'll ever do a live show slash meet and greet one day? I would absolutely love to. Um, I've been in talks, very sort of minor talks about uh, potentially doing a book or a couple of books. And if I did that, I would 100% be looking at doing some um, shows off the back of that, doing a live tour. Meet and greets, I was considering doing one during South by Southwest, but I'm kind of nervous to do one a little bit because what if no one shows up? That would suck. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I probably should try and do one and just swallow my ego and see what happens. Or maybe do one with someone else. Maybe do one with Zach Talander out here. And then if it fails, then we can kind of both blame each other and say that each other doesn't have a big enough audience. Um, but yeah, if I can get past my fear of putting on a meet and greet and then no one showing up, uh, I would love to. I did, I've been to a few meet and greets here for other people's things since I've been in Austin. And they're so fun. It's just a group of people that all know the same content and talk about stuff. So it has been great. I should, I should get over myself and probably do that. Uh, Sean Rambles, was there a specific, if not too personal, reason you moved to Austin or are you just riding the wave of life? Very much just riding the wave. Uh, I like it out here. It's the middle of March and 27 degrees Celsius, glorious sunshine. And my gym is a seven-minute walk and I can record from here and go out for dinner on a nighttime and there's things to do and everybody's into health and fitness and it's it's great. I really, really do enjoy it. Plus, I was kind of tethered to the UK for a very long time, right? 15 years from when I moved to Newcastle for university until November 2021. I'd been there with some small periods of like a, a season in Ibiza or a trip to Bali. I'd basically been there my entire life and I have quite a big wanderlust. I have, I love traveling. I love adventure. So the opportunity to go somewhere else and still do the main thing, contribute to that is that's one of the best things, right? To be able to have something that you can pick up and move and still enjoy all the stuff that you like about being on holiday, which is new people, new experiences, novel, intense, blah, blah, but also be able to still do the thing which gives you that sense of um, industrious satisfaction. So I'm still contributing to my broader, longer term meaning whilst doing something which is happiness, right? So you have happiness on one side and you have meaning on the other and you're able to facilitate both. So yeah, it's pretty good. LJ22, during the Jeffrey Miller episode, you discussed the issue of coddling people and Jeffrey posed the question, the last three times someone's broken up with you, have you asked them why? With what you have learned about today's dating market in mind, 
if an amalgamated avatar of the partners you have broken up with over time was created and you were asked to conduct an exit interview or debriefing with it, providing honest, perhaps brutally honest feedback about the things that were within its control to change and enabling it to level up future relationships, what would your advice be? Fuck, this is another awesome question. <sighs> right, um, I think... One of the common issues that I've had with exes has been their um, tension between what I want to do in life, what I fundamentally feel is a calling, so usually business or personal development, uh, and me seeing them. And this is something that I think is mirrored in a lot of relationships that I have with, uh, that I see my friends in, where it, it feels like the girlfriend sees the pursuit as the boyfriend choosing that over them and that is uh from that they infer that they maybe don't love them that much or the you know anxieties kick in um if you as a partner begin to get in between your male partner and the thing that they think that they're on the planet to do it's not going to go well because very quickly they're going to the boyfriend is going to begin to resent the girlfriend for getting in the way of doing something that isn't with that and like what are you going to do instead especially if it's well just come around and we'll watch netflix and you go hang on a second so you're saying that i can't go and do the thing that i think i'm supposed to do to contribute to my highest purpose on in life and the alternative is to go to the cinema or go do netflix or something like that um now you could say that it's the job of the boyfriend me to make the girl feel so comfortable that that isn't a concern because she's been reassured and you might be right but that's a, a uh, mechanism that i have consistently seen happen and it's very very destructive to relationships uh, i would also say that concerns around spending time with friends or going traveling is another one so you know th this again kind of comes back to the are you paying attention to something else instead of the girl and them not being happy with that and then maybe making you feel guilty about doing that and again perhaps it's your job to make them feel sufficiently comfortable but i also think that on average um this can bring up some anxieties that kind of aren't justified or aren't warranted um you can spend you know two or three nights a week with a, a girlfriend that you're seeing and it's you know in just the middle chunk of a relationship but if you decide to spend the other four nights with friends you sometimes end up on the receiving end of a lot of tension. Um, those, both of those things, I think, are completely destructive. You're making the boyfriend choose between what he wants to do and his social support and his time with friends and you. Like you're, you're actually creating a polarity or a um, like an enemy. Uh, dynamic between you and that and that's not good that you don't want your partner to see you as the enemy of his purpose and his friends uh, how did you ever actually thinking about it, like how was that ever going to work um so that's what i'd say cole campbell what is the biggest red pill you have swallowed in the last 12 months um probably the corporate press very rarely know what they're talking about and the people in power don't have a clue either uh, that's maybe been the last two years. I think that COVID has taught me more than anything that 
most of the people who are in positions of power are just idiots all the way up. They're no better or more informed or more virtuous or with higher integrity or better insight than me or you or anybody else. They're just fallible idiots that have managed to make their way into a position of power. And now they're trying to say that you're supposed to listen to them because they're in a position of power. Um, and that then gets weaponized by a media that has an agenda. So a complete lack of faith in mainstream media and in the powers that be, which is obviously fantastically uplifting. Uh, Cole Campbell, part two. What work have you done to enable you to push back and probe more with guests that hold more controversial or challenging views or opinions? Good question. So I said last time on the 250 episode, which was only <laughs> three months ago or something, um, that I was, after a conversation with Chris and Matt from Decoding the Gurus, I was really working at trying to understand how to be more... Um, more disagreeable uh, in episodes and be able to push back and find holes uh, in the arguments of the people that I'm speaking to. And it's a skill that you need to learn. Um, you know, I said that that was something I'm really working on and that's one of the fundamental skills that I'm trying to develop. But it's not going to come overnight, right? I, I, you don't just make a decision to be able to do something and then be able to do it. That being said, I... I'm starting to see in a bunch of different episodes and in conversations with my friends, I'm practicing ways to be able to push back, to be able to hang on, hang on, hang on a second, mate. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you actually saying that, you know, just all of these little intonations and strategies that you have to not destroy the conversation? Because it's really difficult to like hammer someone and then have the conversation continue to move forward in a good faith way because, well, you've just said something that's made them made their idea feel really stupid or that's made them, whatever, uncomfortable. Doing that and continuing the flow and continuing the rhythm of the conversation is a genuine art form. And that's when you realize that people like, I don't know, like a, a, a Rog Rogan's pretty good at doing this that generally when he does give pushback and pushback can continue for a long time where it fractures the conversation into a little back forth, back forth, back forth. And then it's still amicable and stuff as it continues to go on. Um, that's, that's a real skill. And that's been constantly doing that when I'm having conversations with friends, if I'm sat in the sauna, if I'm listening to another podcast, thinking all the time, okay, where is uh, an unsubstantiated claim here? Where is something that I don't think that they've expanded on enough? Where is a term that I don't think that they've defined? All of those points are they're areas that I'm trying to work on. You've said hold more controversial or challenging views or opinions. I do think that there probably is a little bit of a responsibility to do that up against people who are more controversial or have challenging views or opinions. Um, that being said... It's not my job to be the to say what the audience wants to hear. It's like to ask questions that would be interesting for the audience to hear, yeah. But if I just have a day where I want to have a conversation with somebody, like we, we forget this about Rogan. I think someone had brought up, I can't remember which episode it was, that he'd done something and he seemed like he was really off and the relationship with him and this person were, were, was one way or another. You think, well, maybe that, or maybe he just had a bad night's sleep. Or maybe he just had an argument with his missus when he left the house. We forget that people, famous people or whatever, 
are people too, and they have all of the same issues that every other normal person has. So working on it in and outside of the show, and I think that with the skill acquisition and where it's at at the moment, I think that by the end of this year, I will be uh, much, much better at doing it. And every episode, I'm, I'm trying hard to do it as well. Caroline Gray, if you were to recommend three other podcasts to listen to, what would they be and why? Okay, well, you'll already listen to all of the big ones like the Tim Dillons and the Rogans and stuff. So I'll try and pick three that are a little bit off the wall. Um, The End of the World with Josh Clark is a nine-part series on existential risk one episode on different types of X risks. So nuclear threat or engineered pandemics or uh, bioweapons or whatever. And it's beautifully soundscaped. They've got gorgeous uh, full interviews chopped up, integrated with the way that the sound uh, track works. Just beautiful, really beautiful. So that's uh, The End of the World with Josh Clark. That's great. Um, The Coming Storm. Uh, on BBC Radio 4's podcast, which you can get on Spotify and stuff like that. Uh, That's about the QAnon um, world and how that came about. And it tracks right back to sort of the mid-90s with Bill Clinton and then Hillary Clinton all the way up through January 6th. And I think that's maybe a six-part series, something like that. Uh, uh, That was, again... You can see a bit of a trend between both of these beautifully soundtracked, um, really, really lovely production. What's a final one? Um, I think it's called Reflecting on History, and it's got a red, red logo. I think it might have the tank from Tiananmen Square, and it's just this dude that breaks down, like really small podcast, but this dude breaks down interesting stuff from history and uh, I really appreciate it. So there's three. Jonathan, oh, fuck. Saldariaga. Jonathan Saldariaga. Nailed it. I loved your episode with Cosmic Skeptic. What are the reasons slash justifications to keep consuming animals? And don't you see it as a moral imperative to decrease unnecessary suffering? Uh, I agree. I do agree. I think that my diet is definitely at odds with my uh, morals at the moment because it is unnecessary suffering. I don't have a pushback against Alex's position. I think that it's... I'm sure that there is someone out there that would be able to find a hole in the philosophy, but I don't think that it would compel me as much as Alex's position has. Uh, the main reason, and I would say that this is the reason for most people, if you were able to give them an equally convenient, equally tasty, equally nutritious diet uh, that reduced suffering, they would absolutely do it. The reason I don't is convenience, right? It's convenience and habit. And this is what I've said to Alex as well privately, that to get more people on board with veganism, it needs to be made easier. I understand you can, I'm a perfect example of this. Like I'm convinced by the philosophy that underpins it, but it's effortful for me to do it. And I don't know how, I don't know what the first steps and so on and so forth. I really think that the same way as there is a, um, you know, like sober October, dry January, uh, I think it's like no fap, no fap November or something as well. Uh, there should be a, if they did a vegan month, oh, they do veganuary, I suppose, don't they? That's not really very well promoted, or at least I don't think it is. 
that is the sort of thing, introducing it, making it more easy and, and um, integrating it with people's habits. I think that would make the biggest difference. Tim, is Jordan Peterson the same wise, kind and humble man off camera that he is on camera? Yeah, like the guy's, he's the real deal. And he's very attentive, very caring. Um, he also absolutely spanked me at Top Golf as well, um, which wasn't an enjoyable experience. I arrived in San Antonio with Video Guy Dean, and Michaela rang and said, uh, "Dad wants to go to Top Golf, but no one else like wants to go to Top Golf. Will you go?" Like, sure enough, fine. Turned up, thought, you know. Jordan's not that long out of recovery and, you know, he's in his like fifties or sixties. Uh, I've, I've got to get, I've got to have this guy. Uh, turns out that he is uh, uncomfortably good at golf, uh, significantly better than I am. So, uh, but I was better than video guy Dean, which is what's most important. So there we are. Uh, Yadis for real. What's one thing that no matter what you do, you still struggle with. Um, I have quite a negative inner monologue. Uh, the voice that's inside of my head isn't a massively nice person sometimes or a chunk of the time. And that lack of assistance, uh, or support internally, uh, is something that I wish that I, that I had. Um, I don't know quite where that voice comes from. I am working with uh, my new therapist, on this, uh, me and Vinny are talking about what, where it comes from, what the sort of uh, heritage of this is, doing a bit of archaeology. But yeah, I would say that. Uh, and I know a lot of people that have this too, right? That they're, you know, good performers or whatever, but the internal landscape is still not a very nice place to be. Um, and it's good because you go, well, it motivates you to do more and you see these people that have unbelievable successes and but you don't know what their internal state is like and that's why you should be very very cautious about being jealous of anyone they might have it all sorted they might have the life they might have the house and the career and the status and the money but it might not be a very nice place to be inside uh, and that's what i'm working on i am significantly better as well you know i can celebrate my wins and I can support myself and stuff, but that's still it, you know, like, and it's not, the thing is as well, what's the one thing that no matter what you do, you still struggle with. This thing isn't the thing that will be fixed by what I do. It will be fixed by the way that I see what I do. And this is where that imposter adaptation mechanism thing, that bro science out of existence or into existence. That's where that came from, right? That it's this sort of thought pattern isn't fixed externally it's fixed internally and it's not about you reaching some particular level that's then going to fill the hole it's about you filling the hole and then reaching the level michael stokes how did you get into podcasting and how many subscribers did you have before inviting your first guest so i was invited onto the propane fitness podcast probably about five years ago ish and i really enjoyed it and i thought that was fun I wish I could do that more. Uh, hang on. If I did that myself, I could do it all the time. I could do it as much as I want. Uh, so I dicked about for about four months trying to come up with a name and a brand and some other bits and then banked a few episodes and then released it. But literally 
zero, zero subscribers before inviting my first guest. And I think I had four episodes ready. Uh, Stu, my friend, Lifehacks 101 and 102, uh, Dan Bailey and um, Dave Castro from CrossFit. Had five had five banked before we released anything and then just went from there. And it's now every week at least in one form or another for four years, which is kind of wild when I think about it. Kwame Afriyi. Congratulations on 350K. Thank you. A lot of the work you do is clearly intense. What are you doing mentally and physically to stay focused day to day? Um, yeah, it is, it is uh, intense. A big part of this is doing things that aren't work. So working more has diminishing returns. And this is a lesson that I learned a couple of years ago. Um, and it's one of the reasons why self-care is a f within the five core values that I have, because if I don't look after me, I can't do the things that other people value me for. Um, mentally and physically, meditation every day, uh, morning walk upon waking, uh, walks regularly throughout the day to break up in between activities. Before this, I was just later in the day and I thought, right, I'm not quite in the zone to be animated and to think about all of these questions. So I went for a little walk, like, put my feet in some cold water, came back, and I'm like, right, I'm ready to go. Um, training, usually between five and seven times a week. Um, some sessions are just turning over, listening to a podcast, or you know, just chilling out, not a super intense session. Other sessions where I need to really send it, I'll tend to have um, either a training partner or a class, just because I find it significantly easier to uh, work really hard when I've got that accountability externalized. That's something I think more people need to realize. It's not that you're struggling to get motivation to go to the gym. It's that you're going on your own. It's really, really hard to be motivated to do anything on your own. Um, other stuff mentally, making sure that I sleep. Again, you know, it's like trite to say sleep's the most important uh, recovery strategy that you've got, but focusing on sleep uh, and spending more time around other people as well. Um, I think I rely quite heavily on myself. You've got that single uh, only child mentality and getting like forcing myself to be more social, which is easy in Austin because or easier in Austin because there's lots of things happening. Forcing myself to be more sh social gets myself out of my own head, gets myself out of my own workspace. And then when I come back, I'm actually invigorated to come and do stuff as opposed to it just constantly being this like endless conveyor belt grind. So it means that my emails get replied to <laughs> uh, quite poorly. Um, however, when I actually get around to doing any bit of work, I, I genuinely want to. Uh, Jake Ken Parker, do you think going on Decoding the Gurus has changed your approach to how you conduct interviews? And if if so, what have you changed? The guests since have included a few people who be on their hit list. Do you think you gave enough pushback? So uh, yes, this is similar to what I said earlier on. Um, it definitely has changed my approach to how I conduct interviews. And I have a lot to thank Chris and Matt for um, for doing that. They highlighted that I wasn't being sufficiently disagreeable and that I need to work on that ability to be able to push back, to not just be a mouthpiece that allows anybody to come on and talk about whatever they want. Whether their ideas are dangerous or not, it's just a more interesting interview and a... Um, a more virtuous way to do a, a an interview in a podcast if you do push back because 
if that person cracks under pressure, it shows that their understanding of what they were talking about is fairly limited. And if they don't understand what they're talking about and the pushback breaks them, then they didn't deserve to be talking about it in any case. And if the pushback doesn't and they give a really great answer, then the audience is more bought in to the thing that they were saying. So it's like a it's a win-win, but it is a little bit of a trial by fire for the guest. Um, guests since have included a few people who will be on their hit list. Yeah, probably. So I think uh, James O'Keefe um, is probably someone that they're not a huge fan of. Carl uh, Benjamin. I'm not sure how they feel about Mary Harrington. Uh, Malice, maybe their audience has a huge problem with Jordan Peterson. Um, but again, like I said, it's not. <laughs> the show has done 450 episodes, and I would guess that of 450, less than 50 of them, absolutely less than 100 of them, but probably less than 50 of them have been on culture war topics. Uh, you know, we've done like 5% of the episode, more than 5% of the episodes of all time have been life hacks episodes. So for uh, any critic to think that what I'm doing this show for is to be a rabid culture warrior that is surreptitiously sneaking it in under the guise of doing 10 or 20 episodes on nerdy productivity or life hacks or self-development just so that I get to bring my next like alt-right troll on I I don't think that there's a lot of evidence for that. Um, do I think that I gave enough pushback? I do with, in certain seg- sections, it's difficult to do every single time perfectly, and it's something that I'm developing. However, James O'Keefe, I got a bunch of messages from people saying um, I was surprised at how much you, uh, like the place that you took him to, asking questions about do you think that you're impartial, uh, what are the ethics of under, undercover recording? Are you sure that you don't have people that have got malign intent when they come and speak to you and they try to be um, sources for your news organization? Uh, so I, I was, I felt really, really happy with how I'd done that, and I didn't get any negative comments on Twitter or on YouTube or on anything else about that. And I think it's a sort of episode that people probably would have had a big problem with. Um, I, I'm working hard, right? Say what you want. It's not going to happen overnight, um, but it is a skill that I'm developing and I can see the trajectory of where I'm going to get to. And I know that I'm doing this in good faith. Like I genuinely care about doing this right uh, and I'm going to. So the, for the people that have a problem with the fact that I bring certain guests on, but here's another thing, right? So going on Decoding the Gurus, I knew was going to create a rod for my own back because I could no longer feign ignorance about the things that I'm not good at that they have a problem with. So as soon as I say, yeah, I, I understand about this and this and this, that is then a waterline that I can continually be judged up against. But until you poke your head above and actually identify that you know about it, you can kind of always feign ignorance and people don't have this sense that you are now obliged to live up to the standard that you said that you were going to try and do, if that makes sense. So. I was aware that by making my awareness of the criticisms uh, public, that that then makes me culpable for not adhering to whatever standard they feel or whoever feels I should be. Um, But I've had a bunch of calls with Chris. I've spoken to Chris offline a fair bit. uh, And, you know, for all of the criticisms, like I'm happy 
with the way that I'm going. I'm happy with the direction that my skill level's going in. And yeah, I'm not at the place. There's still a lot of work for me to do on that side of things, on the disagreeability side. However, t like worlds apart from where I was two years ago, worlds apart from where I was six months ago, and I know that I'm continuing to work on it. And more important than that, like I know that I care, right? So whoever it is, if there's a person that doesn't have a lot of faith, it's like, okay, come back in six months and see how different it is because it will be different. And other than that, like I'm doing it for me. I'm happy with the conversations that I have. Um, I know that I'm doing the best that I can. So Chris Thompson, any unknown hobbies, homemade sushi, cardistry? What the fuck is cardistry? Cardistry is the performance art of card flourishing. Unlike card magic, cardistry is meant to be visually impressive and appear very hard to execute. The term cardistry is a portmanteau of card and artistry. Oh, I, I should have seen that coming. Uh, backgammon, big love. Any unknown hobbies, homemade sushi, cardistry, backgammon, big love. Big love to you too, Chris. Great name. Um, fantasy books, read a lot of fantasy books, stuff like Red Rising and The Name of the Wind. And I've just got into Brandon Sanderson because everybody told me that I had to on Twitter. Um, it's most of this stuff. You don't really have... Not not a cooker. I quite enjoy uh, history documentaries. Timeline World History on YouTube is one of my most watched. Uh, but I'm not really convinced that watching YouTube, no matter what it is, is a hobby. Uh Fantasy. You're going to go for fantasy. I'll give you the same answer that I gave to take me out. Dusty Green. How has growing in fame or money changed or affected you both for the better and the worse? Um, well, I mean, the money thing is we're not, we're not at the stage where that's really made much difference. I've kind of swapped one income for another with the, the nightlife stuff. Um, but growing in fame is kind of weird because it's... I've managed to get to what, like nano influencer level in a very particular niche a very particular type of person that watches one platform of many platforms and it all that i feel for the most part is gratitude for the people that watch like you and uh like ambient anxiety <laughs> ambient anxiety about um what this means or, or about the attention and stuff like that that comes Something that you can do, which I never really thought of previously, you, you absolutely can overshoot fame. There is certainly a thing as becoming too famous, and I'm thankfully nowhere near that and probably never will be. Um, but it probably arrives sooner than you think. Tim Ferriss has this amazing article. I think it's called uh, 13 Reasons Not to Get Famous, uh, and it's fantastic. That's something that I'm very conscious of as well, that once you take that genie out of the bottle, there's no putting it back in. Like once you've got too famous, you can't you can't stop that. Um, and the problem with problem one of the side effects of podcasting is that uh, the ideal scenario would be everybody knows your name and nobody knows your face. Uh, and sadly, with podcasting, you have the potential reverse where everybody knows your face and nobody knows your name, uh, or some people know your name and then maybe they know uh, Reddit threads that have been made about you. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year or so. Like I say, if you looked at the graph of what the growth of the show looks like, it's, I, I promise you it's just flat. It's flat for two 
two and a half, nearly three years, and then there's tiny little wobbles because obviously when you expand something out to like exponential growth, it looks stupid. Um, so every single thing is a new challenge, and I don't really know. I mean, I know that Lex struggles at least a little bit with this, the, the increased attention, which is bizarre because it's what you want because you're doing the show to reach more people and have great conversations, but also it's kind of the sort of thing. And it also sounds like such a first world problem, but it is a challenge, right? And, you know, speaking for myself, this month I've been very, very conscious of the increased eyes and scrutiny and stuff, uh, and I don't really know how to deal with it. Um, but I've never met a hater in real life. Um, and the people that come up say, gorgeous nice things and the messages that you guys leave me make me feel i have a uh, i've said this before i have an album on my phone of all of the messages that i've received even the ones sometimes that i haven't had time to reply to um that ben has assistant ben's put in and i've screenshotted those and then if i'm having a down day or if i'm feeling like i just demotivated or i have a period where people say bad stuff about me on the internet i just go and look at that and it it gasses me up so much so thank you to you people that do reach out uh malik is playing to my strengths better than working on my shortcomings? I would say you need to get all of your shortcomings, all of the areas of your life to the minimum effective dose. You need to have the uh, entry level uh, minimum amount of understanding about all of the things that you need to be able to do to be a functional human. And then once you've done that, I would say focus on one or two of your strengths and just go an inch wide and a mile deep on those because you're not going to make as big of an impact at being five out of 10 on everything as you are at being three out of 10 on everything except for two eights or nines out of tens or one 10 out of 10. Um, that being said, there is a risk let's say that it's to do with health or finances to, you know, good examples. If you don't give them any attention at all, you're going to be dead or diabetic or broke very, very quickly. So get yourself to the minimum level that you need with those ones and then absolutely focus on your strengths. That's, you don't need to be a uh, jack of all trades across stuff. You just need to be a master of like one or two. Sean Spooner, what's one question you didn't ask a guest at the time that you've wondered about ever since? That is a that is a very very good question. I'm not sure. I'm going to think about that. Um, I I I'm really really happy with most of the most of the ways that the episodes have gone recently. I've prepped right. The episodes have flown. The flow of them has been good. Um, that is a really good question. I'm going to have to, that's the first one that's flummoxed me and I'm going to have to come back to. Mr. Robot, what are your big three lift PRs? While it depends on whether or not you're talking about CrossFit total or powerlifting total, I'm going to presume that you mean powerlifting total. Uh, deadlift is 210 kilos. Bench press is one... 45 kilos squat one i haven't tested my one rep max squat in as long as i can remember probably 165 170 uh back injury hasn't been very nice with squats uh, floopsy what's your favorite thing about michael malice 
uh, how much he has supported me and invited me to meet new people since I've been in Austin. Chris Rubio, I have a question for you, Chris. Good, I'm here. What makes you think it's a wise idea to refer to subscribers to your channel as cult members? Does this imply that you're the leader? Fair question. Um, I don't know where that came from. I think someone started talking about a wisdom cult um, and I sort of went with that. I'm kind of thinking of starting wisdom cult merch. It's kind of a cool name. I quite like the idea of a, a positive or a holistic cult. Uh, I think Hamza has got a similar idea to me as well, like around the idea that most cults are seen as bad things, but the buy-in that you get from people, the, the only reason it's bad is because of the outcome. The buy-in that you get from people could actually be used for good. Uh, does it imply that I'm leader? I, I have no idea. I, I don't think through everything um, that much. However, maybe I should say something else. I, I, of all of the nefarious things that I could call people, like a completely arbitrary term that talks about a group being uh, adhered together. Um, I don't think cult members is that bad. However, I'm open to alternatives. Uh, but I do want to have more meta meme content around the channel. Like Zach's so good at this, right? He memes first and then explains later. So uh, I am going to try and do a bit more of that. I mean, that comes out in the locals community a bit, but... It's hard to have in-jokes when it's only you as the host and the guests always change. Uh, so having some consistent sort of terminology is, is kind of funny and useful and makes people feel like they belong. Uh, but I don't know. Cult members was just something that came out. Um, what makes you think it's a wise idea? I, I'm, I'm unsure. I'm aware that this is modern wisdom, but it is what it is. We might change that. Hey, Chris, I really appreciate your podcast and deep conversations you have on them from Alexander. Uh, what are some of the effects of being well-known that people might not think about? It seems more commonplace today, but I think it's a bit unusual to have 100,000 plus people know what you look like and know about you. It could be a bit overwhelming to have many people contact you too. This is what I was saying before. Like There is such a thing as being too famous. And again, nano-influencer me is absolutely not there. But um, some of the effects of being well-known, one of them is that you... Very rarely are you questioning your own motivations and thought patterns and the things that you say and the ways that you say them unless you're saying them with an audience that's then watching. And the degree of um, self-scrutiny and self-doubt, perhaps this is led into a little bit by the internal monologue that I've got in my own mind, but you scrutinize the things that you say a lot more because you know that they're going to be rigorously tested by the whatever 100,000 people, 350,000 people that you're talking to. And yeah, it is, it's a strange thing. We're not designed for this many people to know who we are. We're not designed for this many people to pay us attention. And I, I did a newsletter this week, which you can sign up for if you go to chriswellex.com. Um, I did a newsletter talking about how fame used to be a signal for you having done something virtuous, and now it's kind of this um, hollow, vapid uh, end in itself. People used to want to be famous because it was a signal of you having done something. Now people want to be famous just to be famous. It's obligation-free status, and it's not the thing that everybody wants. In fact, it's not the thing that most people should desire to want. Um, it's only a very particular 
type of person. Again, you see this with Lex, right? Like he's someone that spends 16 hours a day programming and building robots and wants to try and change the world with, you know, doing this, his programming and his robotics. And then whatever, like probably 100 or 200 or 500 million people have watched the stuff that he does. Like, what, what, how is he supposed to think about that? Um, and again, who's going to say, oh, poor influencers on the internet, they should, or podcasters or YouTubers or whatever, look at them, they've got it so hard. Yeah, I, I am aware that it's not, it's like the most first world problem sympathy to ask for. Um, but it is, it is a, a, a strange beast. And I, I'm going to continue to try and be as open as possible as I go through this growth. Here's another thing, right? Most people that are famous, even if it's famous with a trajectory from when you can see when they weren't famous, so not like Justin Bieber fame, where he's always been famous and he's like a hyperstar. I'm talking, you know, Jordan Peterson or someone like that, where you there was a world where he wasn't and now there's a world where he is and you've been able to track his progression through all of that. I don't think that most people see those people as people. They don't see someone like Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson as an actual person. They see them like a representation of ideas. And this is one of the reasons why people are prepared to say such crazy things on the internet. I don't know about you. I have never written out some awful, horrible comment to send to someone in vitriol on the internet. uh, Unless it's a friend. Like I've said much worse things to my friends than I have to my to, to randoms and people forget that people are people no matter how many subscribers or followers they've got you know, all of these news stories and analyses and reaction videos and stuff like that we think like there is another person on the other side of this and the internet has dehumanized much of humanity and the people who garner the most attention are the ones that are dehumanized the most and the ones that have the most scrutiny, and the ones that get the most attention, and the ones that have the most messages incoming and comments. It's not like the haven that fame promised everyone. Like That's something that I think me and everybody as well should remember. I think the, the most popular job for primary school kids now is YouTuber. And you're like, if you hit a million subs, or if you hit you know, a couple of million subs, you might regret your decision and you can't really put that genie back in the bottle. Johan Manuel Gasser. Oh, great name. You have inspired me to not drink for a while. It's been almost two months since my last beer. Brother, congratulations. Well done. That's amazing. Stick at it. Stick at it for six months and see where you get to. Lisa, what does an ideal date look like for you? Not in terms of the person, but the places, activities, topics of the conversation, etc. Walking date. Walking date is one of the best things that you can do because it's short. You can do it during a lunch break or whatever. You're kind of moving. And because you're, unless you're one person's walking backward, facing the person that's working for, walking forward, um, <clears throat> you're going to be side by side, which makes it a little bit less intense. It means that there's always new stuff to talk about or to comment on. Uh, you know, you can people watch, which is fantastic and everybody needs to be interested in people watching there'll be nature you'll keep moving and if the date's a complete disaster it's what like a a half hour walk and you can you know you can just say oh so see you there and do whatever that i think is one of the best ways to start conversation a little bit different 
like it's very dependent on what that person is um but the bottom line is if you want the other person to feel like you care and if you actually like them just ask questions right just find out about that person you already know everything that you have to say and you know nothing that they're going to have to say so one of the most selfless things sorry one of the most selfish things that you can do in a conversation is be selfless um robert l simple one are you ever starstruck by the people you meet and if so how do you deal with it um that that's kind of quickly been worn down i think i spoke about this last time um there's a friend of mine who did an interview with a famous academic and before he started this academic got up went to the fridge and got a muller corner out my friend watched this academic from across the room peel the lid off the yogurt look at it and then lick the lid of the yogurt and at that moment he his entire mystique dispelled and since then every person that i've met has had a yogurt lid moment for me too which kind of dispels the the mystique and it reminds you that they're a real person which is also what the internet sort of dehumanizes because you never get to see that um so I've kind of rolled that out across everyone. I met Scott Alexander uh, from Slate Star Codex, now Astral Codex 10, a couple of weeks ago. He's just a dude, you know? He's a guy that needs to tie his shoelaces and put his pants on and and, and have a shave and stuff. He's just a dude. All of these people are just people. Um, so, I don't know. It It gets easier. Like exposure therapy. It gets easier. Uh... Himalaya Herb. Hey Chris, I subscribed to your channel when you were around 5k. You've been here for a long time. Glad to see how it's going up. Congrats. What if you had kept the name Modern Wisdom? How many subs would you have? I liked Modern Wisdom anyways. Good luck with the channel. You have a fantastic channel. Thank you. Um, So yeah, the change was even less than a year ago now. Uh, We went from Modern Wisdom to Chris Williamson. I just, I had people arriving on the channel saying, this is really good who the fuck is the host? There is no way that someone should be landing. I've managed to get them from the annals of YouTube, finally to get them onto a podcast and them not know who I am. Um, So personal accountability, which is a Naval thing, plus the fact that I wanted to be able to have conversations that I wanted to do that weren't held to the trappings of whatever the podcast was. And if I want to do non-podcast content, like down the pipe monologue videos, is it going to be easy with my name and blah 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 so yeah i I think we actually lost subs for a month because a ton of people presumably went on the subscription feed and were like who the fuck is chris williamson i'm not subscribed to him uh and then (laughs) unsubscribed uh which was unfortunate but then we kind of picked back up which was good have you been to or said the word newfoundland and if so i'd bet ten thousand subscribers you didn't say it right also absolutely love the show and everything you're doing man Newfoundland. I'm going to see if there is a... Oh, this is a word. This is a word that you pronounce in a very different way to the way that it's spelled, which is stupid because it absolutely says Newfoundland. And I don't think that... Like, those are three words that already exist. And I don't think Newfoundlanders that you get to say how it's said. Newfoundland is Newfoundland, and I will fight any man that says otherwise. K-S-T, K-Saint or K-Street. 
Enjoyed your newsletter. If fame was bestowed on those that earned it through something special, do you now look back on Love Island with contempt? Appreciate where you now is. Incredible in comparison to where you were then, possibly. Love you, man. Chris. Thank you. Um, no, I don't look back on it with contempt. I do think that there are some concerns that I have around um, what it teaches young people about success, that um, the goal is basically to be plucked out of obscurity and given status uh, versus working hard consistently at something which adds value over a long period of time. I would much sooner Love Island, I know, be across an entire year and then be highlights of all of the things that those people had done or whatever. But it's not like you, again, we can't put this genie back in the bottle. As soon as you're going to have obligation free status where people just get picked like one of those claw machines in an arcade and just like you, you get to go and be blue tick and, and millions of followers and a brand deal with pretty little thing. That's not going to stop. Um, I look back on it. I, I don't look back on it with contempt at all. I look back on, you know, I can't change that. I look at sort of modern, current Love Island with a little bit of trepidation. Uh, and I think that we should be careful about what it teaches young people about success. How are you the lads? Who would win in a fight between Johnny and Youssef? <sighs> I, that's a very good question. I think, I think just based on sh sheer size, you know, Johnny would be two or three weight categories above Youssef. Um, that being said, Yusef does tricking flips and acrobatic kicks as a hobby. Um, and Johnny is uh, built for power, not speed. So if Yusef could get him past the first couple of rounds, I'm pretty confident Yusef's got him. However, if Johnny grabs a hold of him uh, within that, game over. Varric Stormblessed. You sound like a character in a fantasy book. Uh, what things have you changed your opinion on in the last two years due to new information slash insight? The more political, the better. Uh, dude, I, I really don't think about politics stuff that much. Like, here's a good insight as well, actually. Ben's pulled a bunch of questions out that were kind of repeats, but this is a, a pretty broad cross-section of all of the stuff, right, that people who listen to this channel are interested in. None of them have been about politics. None of them have been about fucking trans agenda or about the next new woke SJW that's trying to take over things. All it is is people that are interested in bettering themselves. So that makes me feel very, very good. However, Varric, um, one of the things that I would say is my distrust of governments and politicians at large. I think it's very difficult for anybody that's been through the last couple of years with a skeptical eye to have come out of this with your trust of those intact pretty much everybody, even the people that are pro the uh, governmental and mainstream media lines on things, I think even they are doing it with a, a point in the back of their minds thinking, well, yeah, like, okay, I'm saying it, but maybe that's just because I agree with it, but I don't believe them. Like, I just happen to fall in line with the thing that they're saying. Uh, so that distrust of that and distrust of the media, those are the two that I've really, really pivoted on. Um, the abortion debate, I really do not, I, I can't find a firm place to stand. Um, like both sides have very compelling arguments and I really struggle to find a firm place to stand with that. And I, I wish that I did have, I, I wish that I could just commit, <laughs> 
commit to something with with regards to it. But I find it a very difficult argument to to get around. It it, it feels like the empathetic position is both sides. Um, very strange. But yeah, that would be it. Uh, distrust of government, distrust of media, uh, and a complete lack of knowledge about my position on uh, abortion. Berto Consalvi. What is the best piece of advice you would give another person that you do not follow yourself? <sighs> that is awesome. Um, get off social media, probably. If you don't need it for work, get off social media. Um, I'm pretty sure that it's a net negative for almost everybody. Uh, and it's probably going to make you much more attractive to whoever it is that you're with uh, or to prospective mates. Think about this, right? You go out for a date with a person, whoever it is, and you say, oh, could you, let's, you meet them in the gym or something. You go out for a date with them, pick your sex of choice that you're attracted to. And then when you're talking, you say, so what do you do? And blah, blah, blah. And then before you leave, you say, oh, can you give me your Instagram so I can have a look? And they say, I don't, I don't have social media. And you go, what? Yeah, I don't, I don't have social media. I don't, I, I, I don't really see the appeal of it. I, I don't really like wasting my time. That person's cool as fuck. Whoever they are, that person's very, very cool and very, very intriguing. So apart from the fact that I think it's a, like a nice flex for dating, uh, just get off social media. You don't need it. You do not need it. Get your news from elsewhere. Stephen Sperling, what gives you the most hope? The fact that we have democratized the ability for people to take control of their own lives. The fact that I know based on myself and my friends and the people that I admire, that it is possible to take yourself from a place where you don't particularly like the person that you are and you don't feel like you add a massive amount of value to a place where you really, really do. And that is one of the most inspiring stories that I think that we can give people and it's what most people are hoping for and searching for in the modern world. And the more people that do that, and are open and break the fourth wall about their experience of doing it, the more that other people are going to try and do it as well. And there's far more mystique. You know, if you have the, whatever, the perfect brand managed existence where it's, uh, you're doing speaking stages at conventions and there's all this mystique around how, how your process works and stuff like that. That's great. And it, it works for some people, you know, like the, whatever the Tony Robbins, like people of the world but and it also makes you um more fallible or it makes you more open to critique because people actually know stuff about your private life or about your personal life um but the more that people are open about this i think the better that it is because it that's genuinely what inspires people it's very difficult to see yourself in tony robbins right like what what's the like line of that or like a justin bieber or something like that uh, justin bieber's come up a fair bit today However, a Lex or uh, a Rogan or whatever, someone where you can track that lineage seems like a more inspiring story. Uh, Simon Barrow, which person now dead do you wish you could have interviewed on your podcast? That's a good question. So Johnny's got this answer to this where he wants to have his uh, great-grandparents um, at dinner, you know, you say, uh, pick five people alive or dead to go for dinner with. Uh, and he would just pick a bunch of his grandparents and great grandparents that he didn't get a chance to meet until he was like 
uh, when, while he was a kid or he, they were dead before he was alive. I would really quite like to uh, interview I'd, almost all of my grandparents I haven't been able to have a relationship with. So I would really love to speak to one of them because I think that you learn a lot from your own genes you're going to learn far, far more about yourself from having a conversation with somebody who has like one twenty-fifth of the genetics that are inside of you than Martin Luther King or something. So yeah, I would pick uh, one of my grandparents. Uh, how do you navigate thinking about your mortality? Do you ever feel dread or fear in that regard? From Robert Isaac. Um, so not very much for me. Sometimes I do, but not very much for me, but I certainly feel it for other people. Like my mum and my dad, uh, again, you know, there's no one else around. It's not like I've got brothers or sisters that are going to be able to assist me when that happens. Um, so I kind of fear um, being alone when that happens. I'm not going to look forward to the experience of having to let go of the only two other uh, living people that share my genetics, like that are part of my family. So that's gonna that that's something that I feel dread and fear in, for sure. Gay Carl Drogo. Gay Carl Drogo. Carl, you win uh username of the day. What advice would you give to the bottom of the barrel, a 24-year-old neat incel who wants to get himself on track? So I had to learn what neat was. Uh, I only learned this a little while ago. Uh, that is not in Education, employment, or training, I think. Uh, 24-year-old neat incel who wants to get himself on track. Uh, okay, so I would be tempted, if you can, to change as much about your environment and your routine as possible. And one of the easiest ways to do that would be to change your location. So if you can, if your country is twinned with another country uh, or it has a, a worker's permit that uh let's say like part of the european union or whatever or in america up sticks go so so i would try and work if you can to get as much money as you need to be able to go and move and just go somewhere new and try and reinvent yourself everybody remembers what it was like um or maybe this is just me when you came back after the summer holidays and you were like yeah i'm gonna be this new person i'm gonna have had all of these experiences and everyone's gonna forget about like the old weird nerd that i was last year and then you try and reinvent yourself um, the fresh slate that you get when you get to go somewhere new is a genuine thing. So I would be tempted to change location, change environment, change routine, change friend group, find people that are like the sort of person that you want to be. So if you want to be the sort of person that's into health and fitness, go to a gym. CrossFit or any sort of group-based class is amazing because it's a ready-made social group for you. Uh, I would also be tempted, if you can, to try and start working at something to do with nightlife. Again, like I'm using a bit of availability bias here, but you will have a ready-made group of people who are all into the same things as you, who will look after you on nights out, who will organize staff parties, who will get you into the rhythm of being social. Um, so those are some ways that you can socially sort of hack your life. You will gain friends simply by being around these situations. Nightlife uh, especially if you can work in it, uh, even if it's as a barman, you know, working as a barman or a glass collector or something like that, easy, easy way to find new friends and to be forced into being social, but it's still kind of on your terms. 
uh, training in a gym that has group classes and a community, also amazing. Uh, changing location and uh, looking at changing your routine as well. And that will come out of new location and new job. Uh, how do you think... How do you think how you started your career, Love Island, nightclub appearances, etc., has shaped yourself now, whether that be with your career, your attitude to work, etc.? So one of the things was I, when I was younger, between 18 and 25, pretty much all I did was work. I was very much obsessed with working and being productive and the success of my business. And although a lot of the things that are useful at one stage of your career end up being the problems that you have to deal with later in your career, so I have to now learn to let go of that compulsion to work. I work a lot and I, I need to, um, I'm getting better at it, but work less. That being said, of the two, of having to restart the engine or kickstart the engine for the first time at the age of 34, having never worked really, really, really hard before in my life versus having done it when I was in my 20s and habituated it, I'm very, very happy that that was something that I did. So if I was in my 20s, I would find a working pattern, a cadence that is hard and that is effective because that is the thing that you're going to that's going to carry you through for the rest of time. The job will change, the location will change, the position will change, the salary will change. The thing that won't change is your requirement to actually do some work and be able to work hard and to know that you've got limits that are way, way, way beyond what you need to do. If you need to do 3 a.m. finishes seven nights in a row, you know that you've got it in the tank because you've done it before. And that's kind of like a superpower because most of the people don't have that. Most of the people have never taken themselves to a place where they've had to get something in, they've had to do so much work that they can't believe that there's there's no way that they would be able to, to complete it and you know that you've got that capacity. That's a superpower, it's a real strength. So inculcating a hard work habit when I was young was very useful. That's one of the most important things. The rest of this stuff was kind of a bit surface level uh, and didn't hasn't stuck with me all that much. Um, some understandings of how marketing works and um, brand creation and, and, and uh, getting people excited to kind of be a part of a thing and be a part of a movement and stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of useful, I suppose. But the most important thing, I think, was the habituated work ethic. How long have we been going? What's this? An hour and 32 minutes. Wow. Okay, um, I'll do a couple more. I'll do a few more. Uh, if the goal is to be happy and fulfilled being single, should one just give up on relationships? Uh, no, the goal is to be happy being single and not need a relationship. That the relationship's supposed to add to your life, not become your entire life. Jamie Bolam, 866. What would need to happen for you to look back in 10 years' time and think that your 30s have been a success? You're a smart man, Jamie. It's a good question taken right out of the playbook of me asking other people this awkward question. Um, I think that uh, a family would be one of them. I think that I would like to have a family by the end of my 30s and dog or dogs. And to be proud of the body of work that I've done and to not have... There's this awesome quote from Eminem um, 
that I put in my newsletter. Again, go to chriswillex.com to sign up to it. I'm not I'm not talking about it because it's shit. It's really, really good. It's the best free le- newsletter on the internet. Um, yeah, Eminem was done in this interview a little while ago, and he was talking about the fact that he... Where was it? There it is. In a 1999 interview, Eminem said, I ain't in this for the money. I'm in here for the respect. If I had a trillion dollars and I fell off, I'd be the most miserable person in the world. He grew up in poverty, yet favored status over money. That's a Rob Henderson drop. And that's kind of something that I feel a little bit as well, that I want to look back on a body of work that I'm proud of and that had an impact and that made people's lives better. And and this isn't just me saying it because it's like the cool thing to say. That is the most fulfilling part of doing any project, right? That you feel like you're leaving the world in a better place than when you arrived. And fuck, man, like I can't think of anything else to do. Like what else am I going to do with my time? I genuinely don't know what else it's going to be. So hopefully by the end of my 30s, the world will be slightly less shit, like a nanometer less shit because of whatever work I've done. Um, I still have, we cut this down and I've still got so many. I might do, I might do, I'm going to put a line here. Um, I might do a 300k subscriber episode after the 350, uh, just because of how many more questions there are. I'm not even halfway through the ones that we cut back. Uh, so, uh, thank you to everyone. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you to everyone that has tuned in and supported the channel. Like honestly, it's it's blown my mind the last 28 days and for all of my concerns around increased scrutiny and stuff like that. It's it's fantastic. Uh don't forget sign up for the newsletter, chriswillex.com slash books, free list of everything that we talk about. Big episodes coming up. If you know Jocker Willink, uh <laughs> loop me in with him. If you want to send in uh, requests and guest suggestions, chriswillex.com slash contact and video guy uh, assistant Ben will go through all of those. Uh, And in the meantime, cult members in the long grass, wearing a flowy white dress, dancing around a flagpole. We're here. Peace. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed that. The Q&As are always tons of fun. I, I was always very nervous about doing solo episodes. I kind of still am. I'm more comfortable doing an episode with somebody else to talk to. But the Q&As are really, really interesting. And legitimately, I'm jealous of some of the questions that were came up. I might repurpose some of them on an episode soon uh, and definitely not give any credit Uh, So if that happens, uh, you can't call me out for plagiarism because I've already told you I'm going to do it. Don't forget, you can receive a 15% discount off all of the six-minute diaries by going to bit.ly slash diarywisdom and the code MW15. At checkout, you can get $150 off everything from The Cold Plunge at thecoldplunge.com and the code MW150 at checkout or info at thecoldplunge.com for international shipping. And you can get an 83% discount, three months free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee from Surfshark by going to surfshark.deals slash modernwisdom. I'll see you next time.